welcome to the Board Shorts podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Cook, and I'm here with another easy-to-digest dose of valuable board and company director-related information designed to help you to get on board and thrive in the boardroom. Happy 50th episode to the Board Shorts podcast. Thank you for being here if you're a long-time listener and welcome if this is your first time here. When I first started this podcast back in 2017, yes, I was very consistently inconsistent. There weren't many other board-related podcasts out there. Now there are so many and they are all valuable and working towards getting great governance knowledge out to all board members. There's really no excuse not to be always learning and applying good governance practices within your board career. Whether you're looking for your first board role, fresh into the boardroom, or a seasoned board member, wherever you are on your board journey, I hope that this podcast has and continues to help you to get on board and thrive in the boardroom. As CFO of Bowhill Engineering, people would say Jody Hawkes is a doer and is focused with determination to ensure that goals and objectives are met. Jody loves creating and implementing new innovative ideas at Bowhill, who are specialist fabricators of heavy and complex structural steel, and they're based in the regional South Australian town of Bowhill. Actually, if you live in Adelaide and you've been driving around, the chances are you've been driving over a Bowhill engineered bridge at some point. Now, Jody leverages her experience from this multi-generation, family-owned and operated business into her role as the chair of the Regional Development Australia, Murraylands and Riverland to help create big picture solutions to local problems by leveraging critical stakeholder networks to ensure the Murraylands and Riverland region is recognised internationally as a vibrant, world-leading circular economy with high-performing businesses, resilient communities, and individuals with a deep sense of well-being and connection with the world around them. Jody generously shared her time with the Board Shorts listeners to talk about her life in the boardroom, all the way from school-based student representative council through to chair of RDA, Murraylands and Riverland. Blended with her experience within a regional-based, thriving family business that is transitioning generations, Jody shares what motivates her to be involved at the board level, the value she gains from that experience, how she overcame her biggest boardroom challenge, and distills advice for aspiring and new board members from her many years in the boardroom. I also asked Jodie about how she navigates those unique challenges of rural and regional-based boards. Let's get into the conversation. Jodie, thank you so much for joining me on the Board Shorts podcast. It's great to be chatting with you. Hi, how are you, Lisa? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? 
Yeah, pretty good. Thank you for awesome. a what is it? Thursday. Yes, Thursday. Nice sunny Adelaide weather. How about where you are? Beautiful. Sitting, working from home, overlooking our outdoor pool. Couldn't life couldn't be any better. Awesome. Sounds amazing. <laughs> All right. I thought I would start our conversation. I guess at the beginning, at the obvious point. What boards are you on now? And how did you get there? So what was your pathway to the boardroom? So going right back to the early days, I was very unconventional. It wasn't intended. It wasn't something that I was looking to do. It started way back when I was at high school. Um, I transitioned into traditional roles of SRC, school council, the local netball club, the local progress association, then our own business. And then in um, 2017, I joined our regional development board for the Murraylands and Riverland. Um, So I guess the experience that I've had through our own business and setting up our own board is what made me interested in our region. Um, And it's just something I've had passion for for many years. And as our business has become more successful, I've been able to give back more and more to the community through Mm. the board. Yeah. yeah, amazing. So do you think all of that experience that you had like at school and with the netball club and things like that really helped set you up for, I guess, if we want to call it the big proper board that you're on now? Absolutely. I think it's really important for kids to have a crack at things like SRC or um, their own local community progress association. You learn so much from sitting in, the, in those uh, grassroots meetings and committees and it's about volunteering and giving back to your community it's not just taking on the um the the senior roles of president secretary treasurer etc but it's about uh mixing with your local community and having a sense of purpose and understanding the 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 joy that you get from helping others and giving back Mm. Mm, absolutely. And you're, you're in a career side of things, your professional side, we'll call that, mm-hmm. not that you're not a professional in the boardroom, but yeah. how do you see that skill set that you have in the workplace? I know you have a family business that you work in. How do you see that helping and supporting you in, in the board role that you have we are in a quite a unique position at Boho Engineering. We've spent a lot of time strengthening our systems and procedures and setting up our own advisory council, uh, which is a form of a board. And the reason we've done that is because we are a family business and it is very easy for family businesses to get complacent and say, oh, we have um, tea, tea time or coffee morning break discussions. We talk about what matters. But when you really get to the nitty gritty of things, you realise that there's a lot of stuff that isn't being discussed and there's a lot of things that are being unsaid, that partners haven't been brought into the business. So I felt that it was really important for us to set up that structure early on so that it would become normality for us. And we plan everything in an annual calendar so that at least once a year our wages are reviewed, that we look at our risk management systems. We've got a whole heap of things that we make sure that we have those courageous conversations about the things that really matter. So doing that for our business has taken many years to get to the point we're at, but it's really made me realise that 
we are lucky now that we've come so far and I see with so many of the businesses around us, especially in the farming communities in the regions, that they haven't got that structure and there is so much distrust and um, unity between uh, brothers and, and siblings and um, you know, wives within the regions who just feel like they're not being heard in their own business. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that's um, that there's a bit of a pushback on what might be seen as kind of commercializing or corporatizing what was just um, perhaps when they were, if it's brothers or siblings who are fighting, that to them it was like the family farm. It's just what our family does. And so do you think it's from anything like that or is it just not knowing? And is that now what you sort of bring that perspective that you can actually have the best of both worlds nearly? Yeah, it's absolutely a mix of A, not knowing and B, feeling, oh, we don't need that. We've got no problems, but you don't know what you don't know. (laughs) Right? (laughs) You know, I could go through a checklist of 20 things that businesses who think they've got their shit together realise, oh, no, we haven't looked into cybersecurity. Oh, no, we don't know what business interruption insurance means. No, we don't have a war war chest for our cash flow. They don't know enough about what are the risk management um, opportunities to strengthen your business, getting it prepared for disruption. Mm, yeah. So that that ex or that experience that you've had in your family business, you take that into the boardroom and apply it then in those organizations that Absolutely. you serve. Absolutely. It's it's about going back to the basics. Sometimes it's not about coming up with the newest, biggest, flashiest idea. It's actually about risk managing what you've got. And as the governance perspective of being on the board is making sure that our compliances are are correct and up to date. Yeah, absolutely. Something everyone loves to work on. (laughs) Yeah. Everyone's favourite job. Yes. So so you personally, you've already um, talked through a long time of um, committee, community, board, service, and that you do have that opportunity to give back. What other personal value do you get from your board activities? Mm. So it is about giving back. It's 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 really like I've, we've been so fortunate in our business that we have a purpose called Together We Thrive. And that could be the relationship between our staff and ourselves. It could be the relationships between our suppliers or between our clients. But it's also about the relationships we have with our local community. And when we say community, it doesn't necessarily mean Bohill the community. It could mean the region as Murraylands or some of our staff are campers. So it's the camping community or if they're motorbike riders, it's the motorbike riding community. Or if you're into, um, you know, cancer fundraising, it could be that community. So giving back to our community is about the communities that matter to all of us. Um, I also find that the networking is fabulous. I'm always meeting new people, hearing their stories, learning about them. And the more that I learn, the more that I evolve. Um, I love that our Boeing Advisory Board holds us accountable. Sometimes when it's just the family, when it's just Jeremy and I, we brush things off (laughs) that could have and should have been said. Um, A classic example is cybersecurity. Last week at a board meeting, uh, one of the, the 
board members asked and I dismissively said, yeah, no, we're, we're all across that. We're fine. We're no worries. And when they dug a bit deeper and we started talking about the current economic unrest with Russia and Ukraine and, you know, all of our software is cloud-based, we're like, well, hold on. We do need to know where those servers are located. We do need to understand a bit more about where our backups are located. So it holds us accountable to making sure that we're doing the best we can for our business. So that's the value I get is it's always learning and evolving. Yeah, so it's more about um, or it's just as much what you can take from the boardroom into, say, if you're like a lot of the audience that listen to board shorts, they're working full-time or working to some capacity in a professional role, whatever that might be, and looking to start their board career, it's, yes, on one hand, it's what you can offer the boardroom, but it's also then what the boardroom can offer you and build you up and, like you've talked about, make you a, I don't know, do I want to say better person? You said more evolved person. I would hope that would mean (laughs) evolving in a positive way. Yeah. The terminology we use all the time, both in business and in our board, is win-win. And, you know, we've had board members go, I get as much from you guys as you give to me. And I said, well, that's the perfect union of being on a board that you're learning, but you're also giving back in other areas that we're weaker in. So you can find something that interests you and that you're learning and involving, but you're also providing value to the board, then it is a win-win. Yeah. It's just strange, Jody. there are some people who don't agree with that kind of perspective, that don't don't see it as right that you get a benefit from being on a board, particularly if it's a volunteer-based board and you have to be here because of the love. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's about more than that. Um, And that's so wonderful to hear. I love that. Um, But I want to kind of turn the tide a little bit. I want to ask about what's been your biggest boardroom challenge (laughs) and how did you overcome it? (laughs) Well, I took a little bit of time thinking about this one and, you know, we've always had some tricky situations to deal with and especially as myself being the chair at the RDA for the first time. So there's obviously been some struggles that I've personally felt in that. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to pick one that belongs to Boho Engineering and I'm going to talk about it being the transition from first generation to second generation. It's always a difficult and sensitive process, no matter who's involved. Mm -hmm. It's about giving value and respecting the outgoing directors whilst keeping the next generation engaged and driven. So we created our advisory council, bringing in three to four external board members to provide independent advice. So we used a skills matrix, which your lovely husband, Jerry, had provided to me, and we went through that skills matrix and looked at what our strengths and weaknesses were and looked for where our gaps were. Mm-hmm. And so that we then um, got people onto our board based upon the strengths that they could bring to fill our gaps. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, we are pretty well covered. We have a bit of gaps in law and IT, but we have got third-party um, consultants that we use for those areas. Um, but the, the areas of the, the skills matrix, things are industry knowledge, having technical skills and experience, um, governance competencies, behavioural competencies, leadership skills, 
having values alignment is really important. And then your own personal style. It's really good to have a diversity of people with different personal styles. So um, we had some transitional board meetings with Jeremy's parents and the new advisory board, and this gave the parents the comfort and knowledge to see that we're in good hands. Um, And then at the suggestion of our independent chair, we started monthly stakeholder meetings. So this was a way to keep Jeremy's parents informed and updated, but without the rigidity and compliance requirements of the board. Mm -hmm. So this is the tricky bit. We saw this as an opportunity to bring our kids into this discussion. So our four kids range from 12 years old to 20 years old. So you can appreciate the dynamics of the the kitchen table with Jeremy's parents sitting in their mid-70s. So we now have a monthly dinner with grandparents, parents and kids, and we go through a set agenda that gives all involved an insight into the current operations of the business. We keep it light and casual and we allow the kids as many questions as they like. It's been a really positive outcome and one that's allowed Jeremy's parents to bow out gracefully, but at the same time has kept them informed and brings our kids into what all our business is about. Mind you, the kids nearly fell off their chairs the first time they heard how much we pay our staff and what the fortnightly payroll is. Right. Absolutely. That, I find, was a really positive outcome, but it was a really big challenge at the beginning of it. It's such a sensitive topic, and I'm the in-law, not the child of the family, so that Mm -hmm. adds another layer of complexity. Yeah. Yeah. So how how did you navigate through those into like I imagine there's on one level there's obviously the the business logistics of doing things and that's mm-hmm. kind of like you just got to tick things off the list and work through I feel like the most significant time energy effort part would be managing those relationships, relationships. and the people and the feelings and all of the emotions that sit underneath the whole kind of situation here so how how did you navigate through that I've always understood that I'm not the cleverest person in the room and so I call upon my huge network of of friends and family Mm -hmm. and other members tech's been really good in that space as well and I just ask questions I asked others how they manage their boards I asked others who have been through succession planning I went to family business SA I went to the Australian industry group I just gathered as much information as I could to see what was best practice and what you know were the the speed bumps that other people ran into along the way Mm -hmm. and it's something that you can't rush. It's something that it took two or three years to go through the whole process and I had to na- navigate that very gently with Jeremy's parents because they went from, oh, we want to be involved, but I could tell they weren't really engaged in the board and I could tell that they weren't providing value to the board. So when I look at the the, the makeup of our board, I go, you either need to be adding value or mitigating risk. And if you're not doing either of those two things, if you're just there for information, we, yeah. we can deal with that in a different forum. Mm-hmm. But for the actual board to be um, effective as it can be, we actually need to be stick with our mantra. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So do you, how do you feel like that's made you a better board member? In Awareness. Other, not just in your company, but the, yep. the other businesses as well. 
I understand that things take time. I mean, I've loved being in our private business where we can have an idea and make it run, but I understand through local government processes where my dad was a mayor for 17 years, things take a long time and there's a lot of bureaucracy that has to go through the red tape process and you can't avoid that. So setting timeframes, agendas, holding yourself accountable is really important but making sure you've got everyone on board at at every point in that process. That's a lot of conversations, I can imagine. And it's exhausting. Absolutely. Um, But it's it's what is that bigger picture? What is that bigger purpose? And for us, it's together we thrive. So I'm not going to do anything that's at the detriment of ourselves, our employees, our family or our community. So the decisions we make have that together. We thrive at the forefront all the time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I love that. And the fact you've got the kids involved as well, that's such a great experience, even though they might be a little confused and overwhelmed and lost. One minute they don't care one iota and then the next minute they're asking all these amazing questions and how do we sabotage our competitors? I'm like, no, that (laughs) that doesn't fit with our morals and values. (laughs) I like your thinking though. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. but it's, it's great. Just, I mean, we were talking about culture and retention a couple of weeks ago. And I was going to find out exactly what his words were, but the, this, the 12-year-old said, it's not about how much you pay, mum, it's about whether they feel valued. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Who taught you that? That's amazing. <laughs> He's been listening to you and Jeremy He's talk. obviously been listening more uh-huh. than we Yeah, it was a beautiful moment when you hear your kids' words through, through their voices. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Most of us being well and truly back to the daily grind, it's time to assess whether your board is currently leveraging the right mix of skills and experience to allow for diversity of thought, varying perspectives, and innovative strategic discussions. DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, continues to be a top priority and with good reason. Rather than relying on gut feel, and running the risk of lacking an important perspective, you can use OnBoard's skill tracking to track your board's experience, background and expertise and be presented with a holistic overview of your board's skill set and identify any gaps that may need to be addressed. Having a well-rounded board means you're able to represent your community and company mission from all perspectives as well as assess ESG, environmental, social and governance impacts and identify growth opportunities. Find out more at bit.ly forward slash skills tracking. So... Board service is highly valuable to you as an individual, also to the organisation when you have good people. Um, It is something that's glamorised, which is surprising because there's always so many negative news stories that I see about board members, but I feel like it's a career that's glamorised. What is a negative aspect, though, about board service that no one seems to talk about? 
This was really easy. Reading board papers. <laughs> Reading board papers. It can sometimes be so terribly overwhelming, Um, especially when you first start on a board and you're trying to get your head around everything and you don't want to seem ignorant and you're thinking it's everyone reading every single bit of every single page of that 200-page pack. Um, Yeah, it's it's scary, but it's about finding the balance and it's um, being updated enough to make well-informed decisions Mm -hmm. but not spending hours and hours going too deep into the financials or not going too operational. We need to keep our objectives clear that we're at that governance level. Um, I find to counteract that negative about that is I've, I've been doing this a lot, but it's about challenging the status quo. Do we need full one-page reports on every project or just do we need the highlights and bottlenecks or can someone give us a two-minute Zoom presentation? What are the other ways we can do things to make it not be such a a burden on the board members to be able to digest so much amount of information in such a short time frame? Yeah, absolutely. So is that it? I mean... It's a conversation that comes up often and there's no right answer to what is enough, what is too much, what is too little, what is the sweet spot. And I feel like it's constantly a moving feast, Mm -hmm. especially if you've got, like you said, projects, programs that are going and things are changing and then the whole environment around it changes and then the broader global economic stuff comes in and screws things up and changes how do you manage that? Is that just an ongoing conversation between you and the management or you and the board and the management or how does that continually sort of happen to make sure you are getting that right information at the right time in the right amount? So having been the chair of the RDA MR for 12 months now, I've had seven board meetings and I can easily say the agenda has not been the same at every meeting yet because we are still refining and updating and learning. You've got to find that balance about giving people enough information but I don't want our board meetings being a set of reports Mm -hmm. that everyone's reading and that we have no time for conversations that matter about what the, what truly matters. Mm-hmm. That's when you find the goal is when you say, let's pick one issue and let's do a deep dive into this issue and let's actually get somewhere with this rather than all agreeing, oh, yeah, that's that project's in trouble. I'm not sure what we need to do there. We have, we've run out of time. We need to move on. Mm-hmm. And that's how I felt in the first couple of uh board meetings that I chaired that I was on a hamster wheel trying to balance that I don't want to go over the time limit but at the same time every time we started having a decent conversation I had to move us on so what can we remove from that actual meeting time find out how else we can give that information to the board members but actually use the board meeting itself for for robust conversations 100% Smart, wise thing. How often do you meet and how long are your meetings usually? So we meet every two months, both for our business and for the RDA MR. So Mm -hmm. strategically trying to base them opposite months of each other for any time frame. Good idea. Um, And our meetings, our our Boeing ones go four, four hours 
um, with the lunch and the, yeah, probably three to four hours. Mm-hmm. We try to have a educational piece in each of them. I try to get a um, someone who has got some expertise in a particular area, whether it be a staff member or a third-party consultant, but someone who can bring a little bit of um, dynamics to that meeting and then try and have a really good, robust conversation about that. So three to four hours dependent on the content. Yeah, every two months. Cool. I like that. What do you think or what do you see as the essential skill of great board members? This one is interesting because I, I've spent so much time worrying about this myself. So I said that this is where many people, particularly women, feel that they're not qualified enough. Mm-hmm. So I think that what makes a great board member is being diverse, having diverse backgrounds and diversity in the skills that they bring to the board. We don't want a board of exactly the same people with the exactly the same skills, values, thoughts, processes. That's not encouraging um, robust conversations. Um, So where some members may have technical industry experience, it's important to remember that grassroots skills are important too. Being relatable is really, really important. Having values alignment Mm -hmm. um, and personal style and leadership skills are all important too. I talked about our skills matrix. So you might not get accepted into a board because they've already got someone with the same skills as you, especially if they are industry or technical skills. Um, I think it's really important. The essential skill is being brave enough to ask the dumb questions. So many times I find out that I've asked the question and everyone else comes up to me afterwards and goes, oh, thank goodness you asked that because I was thinking it, but I wasn't game enough to ask. And I was happily put my hand up and say, excuse my ignorance, but not quite sure what that acronym means or, you know, why are we hearing about this? It doesn't seem to relate. Or how does it fit with our strategic plan? I think it's really important that we do question that status quo. Um, I always say to my kids, if you always do what you always did, you'll always get what you always got. And I love that little saying because it is so true, especially when it comes to boards. I've seen boards that have been exactly the same year after year and they wonder why they can't get new people involved. It's because they're rigid. It's a bit like some of the church groups as well. This is the way we've always done it. Why would we change? Yeah. Look, there's times when I've felt completely inadequate and overwhelmed. I wish I had better networking skills or I knew more about key issues within our region. But I'm learning that I can call on the skills of other board members and staff where I lack them. So we put too much pressure on ourselves to be perfect and when all what we really need to be is authentic. So what the region needs from me as a chair is a rational, clear voice of reason, someone who listens but is someone who's also keen to deliver. So personally, I don't feel I have any strong industry or technical skills, but I've got this wide knowledge base of how to run a business. Mm -hmm. And control a herd of cats. (laughs) Yeah, that's the experiences having four kids in that one. Yes, absolutely. There you go. See, it's all worth it in the end, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so what are you looking forward? What do you think is the future of the boardroom? 
hope it's evolving. I think, you know, COVID certainly um, changed what's acceptable in the boardroom. Online meetings are now more widely recognised and accepted with some boards planning every second or third meeting to be online only. And I, Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good move. We've all got our IT issues, especially when working in the regions. And I said to you earlier, but only last week I chaired a meeting where my internet dropped out five times. I was so embarrassed and so frustrated. But people are developing a tolerance and understanding that we're all doing and trying our best. Our deputy chair stepped in and I reconnected and took back over. So it's evolving and it's changing and I'm loving that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the criteria of governance, risk management, financial management, strategic development, they'll always be key items. But I hope that we are more open to education and knowledge pieces with, the, with guest speakers and thought alchemists, um, having global economic updates, planning for disruption, looking at what's new in technology spaces. I think, you know, we need to challenge and open our eyes of our board to think outside the square. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And so much of it comes back to what you were talking about. You've you've got to be comfortable not knowing or comfortable knowing where your limitations are. And that's why you have a diverse board. So you don't have to be the person that has everything because no one does. And Mm. God forbid if you try and fake it, that's just going to make it worse. That's probably the the scariest thing for a board is having people on it that believe they know it all because that's you don't know what you don't know yeah yeah exactly that's the thing that scares me the most so unearth the unknown unknowns yes yes awesome um what advice would you give to either an aspiring board member so someone who wants to get on a board and someone who has just joined a board so a brand new board member, what what advice would you give those two groups of people? Um, I would say back yourself. You need to start somewhere. We don't have enough courageous people out, support, out there supporting boards, which are quite often volunteer roles, which only may attract a small honorarium. But while you might not be financially rewarded for your efforts, you are certainly rewarded in many other, you know, many other ways. So I think that's really important to keep in front of mind. Um, I get personally excited by new board members um, because the intrigue they bring to the role. They are keen to know everything. They ask lots of questions. They have fresh eyes. We need to use those fresh eyes while they're still fresh. Too many times we get complacent and board becomes a compliance and ticking the box rather than deep and meaningful conversations. So if you can do that in a respectful, be inquisitive, do your homework and just be yourself. Yeah, great advice, Jody. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to turn the conversation now to talk about your experience on a rural slash regional based board. Yeah. Um, as a city person, <laughs> city <laughs> folk, um, and someone who's from Sydney, I don't have a, an enormous amount of experience of being someone in your position who has to run meetings and recruit board members from a really um, dispersed community and over vast distances with challenges that we probably don't even think exist. Like you were talking about the internet cutting out five times. Like, Uh yes, our internet cuts out sometimes, but to 
have it that many or expect it to happen. It's kind of we don't think that, whereas you guys might have to operate as that being just how it is. Um, So what are the challenges that are unique to a rural or regional board and how do you work around those? That's a very, very big question and I could go down so many wormholes with that. <laughs> but one of my first tasks, so I started the RDAMR board last January mm-hmm. and on about January the 16th I got notified that we had to redo the whole board, like reselect the whole board, um, the change in our um constitution made us have to start from scratch and I'm like that's a hell of a task for a brand new chairperson to do yeah so we put the applications out there and encouraged all of our existing board members to reapply but what I wasn't aware of and what I've been acutely made aware of since then is that the applications didn't come flowing in freely. That for us now we've set up our board and we've got four members retiring in two years and another four members retiring in four years and we're going to try and keep that rotation. But we need to do a lot damn better at our recruitment and awareness prior to putting those advertisements out. There are too many people that don't even know what our board does, Mm -hmm. doesn't know the role that they play within the community. We kind of sit where we're funded by federal, state, local um, governments, but we're apolitical and we're an incorporated association. So we don't stand out the front and cut the ribbons but we are there connecting and delivering a lot of projects within our regions. So quite a quite a lot of the time people just don't understand what the purpose of our board is. So we have last year redefined our values and our core purpose for the Regional Development Board. And a key thing is that we couldn't be everything for everyone, mm-hmm. that we had to work out that our remit was about connecting people. So We know what's out there and what's available, both federally, state and local, and we'll connect you to the best best option. But we don't know all the answers ourselves, but we'll be there holding your hand and navigating you through that process. So we are doing that a lot better. And to come full circle is what I think we need to do more of is tell better stories. So our marketing needs to be about this is how we helped this person. This is what we did for this business. This is how our region has benefited and actually make all of our marketing be about telling real stories of real people of how we've connected them and helped change their lives. So that, we've got a bit of lead time in that space, but I think that is going to help us better recruit more board members in the future. Mm -hmm. What we ended up having to do this time is knock on people's doors, pick up the phone, actively recruit, say, I've admired you from a distance for X, Y, Z. I think your skills would be great in this space. Would you consider applying for our board? And that's what we had to do this time. Hopefully next time we'll have so many applications that I can step aside and retire. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good ambition to have. So that's the attraction side of things, which I I found eye-opening I had no idea that that was Mm. going to be an issue and and what a 
what a hard thing for me to do as a new chairperson to the board. Um, the unique challenges has been distance, you know, mm-hmm. in Murraylands Riverland, I don't know the distance. I should know stats, but I, I don't. <laughs> it's a long way. You're travelling at least two or three hours to get yeah. to the other end of the region. So if you're having a, a meeting in the Murraylands, the poor Riverland people have to travel vice versa. Distance is always going to be a factor, but that's the same for everyone in the regions and we've all grown up with that. So I guess the understanding around Zoom and MS Teams and being online platforms being more socially acceptable, that's definitely going to help in that space. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing that's really helped me overcome some of the challenges is that we meet all the South Australian chairs of the RDA MR, there's seven of us, we meet together three or four times a year and we have a good old chat and we talk about benchmarking, about how does the agenda run in your region? How does your honorariums run in your region? How do you do your performance appraisals for your chief execs? How are you minimising risk? How are you looking at your investment pipeline? So we're actually talking and comparing notes because I don't know what I don't know and I don't want to recreate the wheel in all of those spaces. I want to see who's out there, who's doing it the best, who's willing to share and learn from each other. So I feel that each region's got their own strengths and as chairs we are collaborating and sharing ideas and information and benchmarking with each other to help support each other. Mm. What a valuable resource. Yeah. That's cool. Um, So how did you get the role as chair did you apply or were you tapped on the shoulder it was interesting I had no intentions of applying none whatsoever (laughs) that worked out well (laughs) I'm walking on the beach at Christmas time down at Victor Harbour with the waves through my hair and I had a phone call from the previous um, chairperson letting me know he's going to retire and I'm like oh thanks, Neil, you know, your 11 years of service has been wonderful. Thank you so much. And he's like, well, I'm not just ringing you to let you know I'm retiring. I'm ringing you to tap you on the shoulder. And I'm like, oh, um, why me? Like, where did you get this from? Am I the only sucker that you can think of ringing? But anyway, I took I took that on board and I said, oh, look, leave it with me. I'll have a think about it for a couple of weeks. Um, but over that next couple of weeks, I had, I think it was three other people come and talk to me about the role and I went are you conspiring have you chatted to Neil has what's going on here and they all put their hands up in the air and said no it was just you know something that they'd thought and I guess that gave me the confidence to actually go well if they're independently asking me to apply for the role maybe I should think about it Mm. So then my next step was I had a look at the application form and I've done this before when I've applied for grants. If I can fill out a grant form really quickly and easily, I know the grant's for me. If there's too many hard questions, then maybe I'm not ready for that grant or whatever. And so when it comes to this, this application for the role, I filled it out within 10, 15 minutes. It was it was so like it just felt like it was speaking to me. And so I didn't have to go research or go, oh, how should I answer this answer? I just put my heart and soul on a page and I went, well, if that's what they're looking for, that's what they're looking for. If not, I'm not fussed if it's not me. It's <laughs> such a nice way to approach it. So many people yeah. tie themselves up in knots trying to perfect their application 
for a board. Um, but you're exactly right. I mean, there's so many other circumstances and things happening around a board that influence who ends up in the seats around the table. Absolutely. That it's not, most of the time, it's not just about you as a candidate. Hmm. It, it's a whole bunch of other stuff happening too. So like you said, put your heart and soul in it. Try your hardest. Put put yourself out there. And if it's not if it's not meant to be, it's not going to happen. Hey, yeah. yeah, and it's not a never. It's just not a not yes, now. Yeah. Exactly. That's something to remember as well. Cool. Um, that is great. Thank you so much, Jody. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Getting to understand your board experience, your perspective on boards, how you've navigated through a generational transition at Bowhill Engineering. That's uh, massive <laughs> to do. And it's something that will serve you on, as you know, on this board and any boards in the future that come and tap you on the shoulder. Mm. But thank you so much for sharing your, your story, your experience and your view on things. Thank you, Lacey. You've made it easy for me. Great to hear. Thanks, Jody. All good. No worries. Thank you. Such great words of wisdom shared by Jody in this conversation. I hope you took out some nuggets that help you to thrive in the boardroom. Her comment that we don't have enough courageous people on boards is something that I hope you take as an invitation to step boldly forward in your board journey. If you haven't already, I invite you to subscribe, rate and review the Board Shorts podcast on your favourite podcast app. And please feel free to share that you're listening and what your takeaways are from this episode on social media using the hashtag Board Shorts Podcast. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to talking with you in the next episode. Board Shorts Podcast is powered by Get On Board Australia the destination for aspiring and new board members, helping you to get on board and thrive in the boardroom.